Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This evening, we continue to look at the second article of the Creed by looking at the state of the exaltation. But before we continue, let us look at the second article of the Creed and its explanation according to the small catechism on pages 322 to 23 in our hymnal. What is the second article? And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And what does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood, and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. A reminder briefly from last week that when we speak about the states of humiliation and exaltation, we're referring to the Son who has become incarnate. We are speaking of the Word made flesh. The incarnation that began with the Son's conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary and now continues on into eternity. The state of the humiliation, again, was that time when Jesus Christ, who is God and man and one person, did not use the fullness of his divine nature so that he might give his life as a ransom for many. The exaltation, then, is everything after that, where our Lord has received all power, glory, and authority according to his human nature. For our Lord Jesus has always had all power, glory, authority according to his divine nature. He lost none of these things when he took on flesh. He remained almighty, all-knowing, all-present, etc., Everything that belongs to God belonged to Jesus according to his divinity. That is how, during his ministry, he was able to know the thoughts of the hearts of those around him. It's how he was able to walk on water and perform all of his miracles. These he could do because of his divinity. When we speak of the exaltation, then, the exaltation of Jesus and the acts associated with that, we see him receiving those things which were already his, insofar as he is divine, according to his humanity. So that all of which he does, he does for us as our brother, as the epistle to the Hebrews says. 
And so let us this evening look at those parts of the creed which pertain to the exaltation of our Lord, beginning with his descent into hell. This is the first act of his state of exaltation. There is much confusion, unfortunately, over this doctrine today. Many people deny it altogether, and others teach wrongfully about it. Some say that Christ descended into hell to suffer there, but that is not at all the case, for our Lord Jesus had finished his atoning work upon the cross. His words uttered before his death, it is finished, testify to this fact. And while there is much that we don't know about the descent into hell, we know that it was not going there to suffer. Rather, the scriptures present the descent into hell as an image of total victory for our Lord. In a sermon on Holy Saturday, Dr. Luther says that the old paintings of this event in churches show us beautifully what we simply believe about this event without getting too complicated and in the weeds from things that we cannot prove. He says, in this way, it has been custom to represent in fresco paintings how Christ went down, clad in a priestly robe with a banner in hand, how he reaches hell and with his banner beats and drives out the devil, takes hell by storm and delivers his followers. Such paintings well exhibit the force and value of this article. Therefore, it is held forth, preached and believed, how that Christ destroyed the power of hell and the and the stripped the devil of all his might. If we have this, we have the real gist and meaning of it. The descent into hell, which by which the creed means at first the realm of the dead, Hades or Sheol, shows how our Lord has broken the power of sin, death, and the devil by his own death. By this he destroys its power over those who are in Christ. For Christ, by his death, has atoned for the sins of the world, and by believing in him, one receives the benefits of this, the forgiveness of sins. Thus, if our sins are forgiven, death, hell, and the devil have no power over us. Those still in their sins are in bondage to death and hell, for the wages of sin is death, and those who remain in their sins will be condemned in the end. But because our Lord Jesus, who is God and man in one person, died for our sins, he has destroyed the power of death over those who trust in him. That is what our epistle was saying when it said, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. No more need we fear death, for Christ has taken away its power. He has defeated the devil. He has liberated us and rescued us from bondage to sin through the forgiveness of that sin, which he earned by the shedding of his holy and precious blood on the cross. And yes, the devil, death, and hell may vex us outwardly in this life. Evil befalls us because we have sinned, and death still comes for us. But if we are in Christ, then these things cannot eternally harm us. For Christ has defeated the devil for us. He, as God and man in one person, liberated us 
destroyed the power of death and the devil. The resurrection, then, is the great sign of this to all the world, the sign of his total victory over death. First, it is a sign to the Jews, to God's ancient people, that Jesus is the Messiah. Thus it is written, says our Lord, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise on the third day from the dead. It was also a sign to all the world that he whom the world thought was guilty of such vile crimes that he was executed among the worst of transgressors was actually innocent. He was not only innocent of the crimes of which he was accused, but he was innocent of all sin so that death could not hold him. But there is much more for us here as well. It is not only a sign of these things, but it actually does something for us. St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, It, that is righteousness, shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised for our justification. Our Lord Jesus was delivered up to death for our sins, taking them upon himself. But then he was also raised for our justification, so that we who trust in him receive his righteousness, his righteousness which proved him innocent and in which he was raised, so that his death has become our death and his resurrection a promise of our resurrection. By faith we are united to Christ. We are one in him and receive from him all that is his, just as he has taken on our sin. But this also connected to how our Lord Jesus shares in our flesh. As our epistle says, Both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he was not ashamed to call them brethren. Because the Son of God has taken on flesh, because Jesus is God and man in one person, he calls us brothers. For we all share in the same flesh and blood, and we all descend from Adam and Eve. All flesh is impacted then by our Lord's death and resurrection. He was raised from the dead on the third day, and likewise all people will rise from death on the last day. All flesh will stand again on the earth. All will rise because of his resurrection. Those with faith, however, will rise in glory, having received the benefits of what Jesus has done and being declared righteous by God. After our Lord rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples for 40 days before his ascension into heaven and being seated at the right hand of the Father. And again, this happens according to his humanity. For our Lord Jesus according to his divine nature, never really left heaven, so to speak. In the ascension, our Lord Jesus reveals that, according to his humanity, he has received all power and glory. In Matthew's Gospel, he says to his disciples, before his ascension, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. This, he said, who possessed already, according to his divinity, all power and authority but now he receives it as the one who has taken on flesh, as the God-man, Jesus Christ. When it says that he sits at God's right hand, it means that he has all power and authority which God has as a man, as a human being, 
He has received all power and authority. Daniel prophesies of this in chapter 7 of his book, saying, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. This is fulfilled in the ascension and the seating at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. St. Luke describes this in our second reading, saying, Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Our Lord Jesus, Son of God and Son of Man, ascended so that accord, ascended so that according to his humanity he might receive as one like the son of man dominion and glory and a kingdom we can take comfort in the fact that our lord who died for us also rose for us and likewise ascended for us because of this he will never leave us nor forsake us but he is with us always God has promised to put all things in subjection under mankind, and he left nothing put under him. In Jesus Christ, we have this promise beginning to be realized. We have the first fulfillment of this promise of the world to come when our Lord Jesus ascended to heaven, where he promises to bring us with him into glory on the last day. For that is when all of this will be fulfilled on the last day, on that day when our Lord will suddenly appear. He will appear in power and glory, and all will see that Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the lowly Virgin Mary, is the Christ, the Son of God. On that day, all the dead will be raised, and he himself will judge. Most assuredly, I say to you, our Lord has said, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming which all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Of this, Malachi says, Who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? Surely no one on their own can stand before Christ's judgment. St. Paul writes, We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. If it were only up to us, we would have no hope, for despite our daily struggle with the flesh, we still fall into sin. Yet remember, brothers and sisters, that our Lord has not left us without hope. He has said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Indeed, through faith in Christ, we are united to him, to his death, and to his resurrection. Through baptism, we have died with him and have been buried with him. And so since you have died, St. Paul writes, your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. If you are in Christ, if you trust in him for your salvation and live in repentant faith, the last day is a day of salvation. We will be counted among those who have been, who are those who have done good. For the Holy Spirit dwelling in us sanctifies our good works. The day when our Lord comes, he will bring us with him into his kingdom, and we shall be glorified, rising in immortal bodies. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. The epistle to the Hebrews says, To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. This is our hope. Thus we wait for him with patient faith, that either rising or being changed on the last day, we shall also be without sin, and live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. This is most certainly true. May God grant us such repentant faith that waits for his deliverance and the day of salvation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen. Amen.